this series is is we're gonna we we've you see the the shirts and you see our slogan is is for love and impact we're gonna dive into a little bit of what that means and why we've chosen this and, and what we're doing but one of the most common questions I get as a preacher uh, is is there's two common most common questions I get this regularly and if if you've asked me these questions on you know this that's all good and today's gonna be a good day for you um, but the f- most common question I get as a preacher is when are you gonna preach on the end times well, I got good news tr- for you today okay there we go second question I get asked is when are you gonna preach on sin and tell people about sin good news for you today the rest of you are squirming who didn't ask that question and going, what? We're going we're gonna to go there? We are going to go there. We're going to talk about end times. We're going to talk about sin. But I, when I get asked those questions, I'm pretty sure that the, the answer they're looking for is not exactly going to be what I'm going to deliver today. That's surprise, surprise. But we're going to dive into, into that uh, a little bit today. So get ready, get ready. Welcome everyone that's joining us in one of our five locations. Welcome Tabor and Okotoks, and Lloyd Minster, and uh, Claire's Home, and Lethbridge. Welcome to you guys. Welcome everyone that's joining us online. Welcome to Jennifer, Tom, Deborah, Peggy, Angela, Carter, Dorothy, um, Pastor Phil, Hope, Anthony. Welcome to all of you guys, wherever you're watching around the world. Welcome to you. Give them a big hand. All right, so we're ready to talk about end times and sin. We're good? Everyone's like, what? (laughs) Here we go. The disciples asked Jesus the exact same question. In Matthew 24, verse 3, they said this. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, and they said, tell us, they said, when will this happen? Jesus had just talked about him having to leave, and then, and then he was going to come back and, and all of that. And so they're kind of confused, and they waited till after he was done his sermon, and they find him privately. They said, okay, tell us when this is going to happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So what they're asking for is, Jesus, tell us about the end times. Tell us about the end of the age. L- you know, let us in on some of the secrets of what we can expect. And Jesus did. Jesus obliged. In fact, Jesus taught on the end times and all the signs that would come in Matthew 24. And he continued that same conversation into Matthew 25. Now, we're going we're gonna to skip through most of that, and we're going to get to Matthew t- uh, chapter 25. But I just want to highlight this about Matthew 24. And I encourage you to go back, if you're curious about end times and all that, to, to go back and read what Jesus said about the end times and some of the signs that will come. And I got to say, you know, go back and read it again. Maybe refresh because I've heard Matthew 24 taught often. I've heard end times teaching often and, and from a lot of pastors and preachers. And one of the things that I hear that is, is, is mistakenly communicated, I just got to clarify this. In Matthew 24, I often hear it said, pastors will say, especially when something bad happens, like COVID or, you know, earthquakes or, you know, all wars or something traumatic happens on, on the planet and we all hear about it and we're all kind of shaken, just kind of what we've been through. Um, all of a sudden, we have pastors and preachers who get up and they start saying like, Jesus said that there was going to be wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and earthquakes and all kinds of bad things and that that would be the sign of the end of the times. Anybody ever hear this? 
this preached. Can I just clarify Matthew 24? Go read it again because Jesus said, yes, there will be wars, rumors of wars, pestilences, you know, earthquakes, all these kind of things. And then he says, and these will not, that's kind of a big, big word. These will not be a sign of the end. Some of you look at me like, what? That's uh that's in the Bible. Now all of you flipped up Matthew 24. You can look at it. This is what Jesus said. There's going to be all these things, but these will, this will not be the sign of the end. He says the sign of the end is actually going to be when this gospel of the kingdom is preached to all nations. Then the end will come. The gospel of the kingdom. That's why I'm so passionate about the kingdom. It's the, it's the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of, of God. Now, when we, we you know, are think, are there going to be more wars, more things, all this kind of stuff? There's always been. I think it feels like it, there's an escalation of things going on. And there probably is an escalation of things going on and bad things happening. Because as long as man gets their hands on something, we don't make things, like we, we tend to mess things up. So it's just getting, it's getting messier. Yeah, that's all, that's all happening. But I think also... There's more stuff going on in the world that we have because of social media and because of the internet. We have immediate, are there more wars today? I don't know. We just know about them all. Are there more earthquakes today? I don't know. We just know about them immediately. All these things. I just want you to know that as believers, we shouldn't panic that a lot of times when these pastors and preachers talk about all these things, and these are the signs. It's, it's anything that's motivating through fear isn't God. We all good? Okay, Jesus said this wasn't the sign. Okay, so just, just go back and read that again. Matthew 25, we're going to skip down to verse 31. And in verse 31, Jesus, he goes through all the different signs, what's going to happen. And in verse 31, Jesus begins to teach through and begin to talk through um, about the end of the end, and in particular, his second coming. He says this in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. That's what Jesus is saying right here, that yes, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back in all of my glory a second time. I'm going to come back. That's the second coming. He's, he's going to return to earth. He's promised that right from the beginning. And all the angels with him. And he will sit on his glorious throne. In other words, Jesus is king. And he's making it clear that he's going to set up and establish uh, his, his kingdom after his second coming. Then he says this in the next verse. All the nations will be gathered before him. This is all peoples, every person, everyone that includes all of us will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as shepherds separate the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right side and the goats on the left. Now, I don't know why Jesus has got a thing about goats. We had goats here last week and they were all cute and all the rest of it. But in this analogy, Jesus, the goats aren't good. Okay, so what Jesus is speaking at this time, he's speaking to a very agricultural society and in Israel, you know, shepherding was a big part of the entire society. In fact, when Jesus was first born, coming up on Christmas time, the, the angels announced it to shepherds because there were shepherds in the fields nearby. This is a common thing. And, 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 you know, we see King David was a shepherd boy before. This is a common thing in all of Israel and it has been for a long period of time. So when Jesus uses this analogy of sheep and goats, he's saying, he's, he's classifying the sheep 
as, you know, as a shepherd will separate the goats out from the sheep because goats mixed in with the sheep, they kind of, they butt up against everything and they kind of make a mess and they, they just, they, it basically, it's, it's something where the shepherds knew that you separate the goats out of there so that the goats don't wreak the havoc. So this is, this is where Jesus is going on. He's saying the sheep good, goats bad. Then he says this, then the king will say to those on his right, okay, that's the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So what, in other words, what he's saying is, he says, come to the sheep, to those on his right, the ones that are classified as righteous, right standing with God, in, in good order. These, these, he says, the kingdom has been prepared for you since the creation of the world. So let me ask this question. Who has the kingdom been prepared for? Us. That's, a, that's, that's very, very important, by the way, for us to understand, is that the kingdom has been prepared for us since the creation of the world. Okay, that's, that's important for us to understand, that he didn't create his kingdom just for himself. He created this kingdom, this whole understanding of, of what kingdom is, for us since the creation of the world. So he's, he says, okay, now he's speaking to the righteous, to the sheep, on his right, and he's classifying, he's, he's about to classify what is righteous or what is right standing with God. And I gotta tell you, I've read this a hundred times, and even as we're preparing for this, this again, I've read these scriptures, and you've heard them, we've talked about them before, but I've always taken them out of context. I've always taken them in, in just context of this, these verses in itself, and didn't put them in the context of the couple chapters before where Jesus is answering the question about the end times or judgment day or what, what is going to be, what, you know, what is going to be the separation of judgment day between the righteous and the unrighteous. I've always, I haven't, I've never been taught it this way. I've never taught it this way, but I want you to see something. Jesus is about to classify the difference between those who are right standing with God and those who aren't. And I gotta say, having read this, I'm quite surprised because I'm surprised because this is not what righteousness has been defined to for me. And I'm pretty much, pretty sure that for those of you, especially those of you who've grown up in church, this is not what righteousness has been defined for for you as well. Because what makes people righteous or right standing, that's, righteousness means right standing with God. What makes people righteous? Well, the, you know, they are, we've been told, we've been taught, we think they are those who are good people. They follow the rules. They attend church. They, they love Jesus, they, they, they are married to one wife, that's a good idea. They do, all, they do, <laughs> they do every, they follow all, the, they dress right, they go to the right church the right amount of times a year, they, they participate in that church. They, like All these things, we've got all these classifications of what it means to be a good Christian. Anybody else got some more they could add to that? If things that we said, you know, we dressed right. Oops. Right? Or, or whatever it might be. Whatever the rules might be. We all have these classifications, these clarifications of what it means to be right standing with God. So Jesus is saying, I'm, he's speaking to those who are on, on his right and the righteous. And then he begins to classify 
what is determined to be righteous. And he says this, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Wait, what? Where's the mention of you baptize the right way, you have the right theology, you take communion the right amount of times a year, they're in the right way, you go to the right church with the right label, whatever it might be, you prayed the right way. Where's, where's that list? Jesus' list for righteousness is when I was hungry, so the disciples are listening to this and they're going, okay, wait, so Jesus, um, what do you mean when, when, when you're hungry, like we fed you, like, okay, the disciples are kind of looking at this and going, what? And then he says this, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger invite you in? And, and needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and wait to visit you? And the king replied, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. What Jesus is saying here is that, listen, we can attend church we can worship God, we can love God and all the rest of it, but what classifies righteousness, what classifies a Christian is what we do to the least of these. Is that what he's saying? Because this is what, he's answering the question again of tell us what's gonna happen at the end and when he gets to his, after his second coming, judgment day, all the rest of it, the separation between the right and the left, the separation between the sheep and the goats, the separation between the righteous and the unrighteous is what we've done to the least of these. According to Jesus, according to Jesus, this is Christianity. Now let me just pause there for a second. If we were to ask any one of us, to define what Christianity is or what it means to be right standing before God, if we were to ask that, would we list, just be included, would we list any of these things or would we list what it means to be a good Christian, would we list all the other activities that we've made? And the reason why I bring that up and the reason why I ask this is because I, I've said this you know, many times that we've majored in the minors and we've minored in the majors. According to Jesus, this is Christianity, this is major. So when he says, love one another as I have loved you, is the new command. According to him, loving one another is feeding the hungry, giving water to the thirsty, clothing those who are naked, like housing, taking care of people's health. All, like to Jesus, this is the definition of Christianity. And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, this, I haven't been taught this. I haven't been living this way as a Christian, like this is the major. Like I, I, I mean, we're all in this together. Like I'm not, 
I'm saying we're all in this together. I'm going, wait a second. Our Western Christianity, our version of Christianity, all the rules that we and regulations of what it means to be a good Christian, how we're supposed to do it. You know, I, I know how to live according to what churchianity is. I know how to do that. But Christianity? I don't know. And that's why this part of the reason why we're saying parallel church, we got to be different. Not because Kelly's so smart, because Kelly's been stupid and been missing this stuff and going, wait, 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 let's major in what Jesus majored in. And the early church did, by the way. The early church, they took this so seriously that it says in Acts chapter 2, right after the birth of the church, that there was no need among them. And when they said need, that meant there was no hungry, there was no thirsty, there was no naked, there was no homeless, there was no need among them. There was no one that wasn't being visited, there was no need among them. Because to them, this was the gospel. This was Christianity. Now Jesus goes on, just in case we didn't get it. He says, then he, talking about God, will say to those on his left, the goats, the unrighteous, depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is the sin part, by the way. Right? So... <laughs> Jesus says, and, and listen, there's a version of, of Christianity out there that, and, and version of preachers out there that will, that will say that hell isn't real. Anybody ever heard this? Like people saying that hell isn't real. I, for one, don't ascribe to that theology or that belief because Jesus said it's real. Right? Jesus mentioned it. Hell is, is a real place. But watch this now. Jesus said eternal fire, that's, that's talking about hell, he says eternal fire isn't prepared for the sinners. He says hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. Now wait a second, let's back this up. Who did he say the kingdom is prepared for? Us. Who did he say hell is prepared for? The devil. But then he says this, that he says, those depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared, that's prepared for the devil and his angels. And in other words, he's saying the unrighteous, the goats, not, not to God's will, but are going to be sent to hell. This is, this is judgment day. This is all this. And then he says, okay, here's the part where Jesus is about to mention all the sins that are, are, are bad enough and rank bad enough to send us to hell. Anybody got a list? Right? We, we've, been, we've been given lists, haven't we? This is where he's going to list murder and homosexuality and adultery and, and, I mean, lying and cheating, like all the rest. This is where he's going to list all the sins that they're inexcusable. You know, these are all, this is where Jesus is about to list all the sins that are going to send us to hell. And this is what he says. For I was hungry. And you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. 
wait. Where's the sin? Let me tell you something. It's right there. Because sin means to miss the mark. And according to Jesus, missing the mark is not helping those in need. He goes on, he says, they will also answer me saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or as a stranger and needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment. But the righteous to eternal life. Here he doubles down again. Now wait. Let's just hold this up. I, I got to tell you, like, I read this again in preparing this series and going through these scriptures again. I read it in the whole entire context. And I got to say, I got massively convicted. Because I read this and went, I have so missed the major. And all of a sudden, flooding back to my mind, I'm like, wait. How many people have I walked right by downtown Lethbridge? I had all the justifications in my own mind as to why I couldn't help, because I'd just be enabling, or da, 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 all the justifications we make. And I read this, and I was like, and we've put that as the, listen, I, I'm raising the church. We've put that as the extracurricular, that on top of the icing on the cake, this is the part of Christianity that's just on the top. And I look at this, and I was like, Jesus didn't put this as the icing on the cake, the extracurricular activity. To Jesus, this is the activity. I thought, man, I, I feel convicted as a pastor who's been preaching and teaching this whole entire time and working and building to get people to come to my church because that's what pastors are supposed to do and that's what we're supposed to be and all the rest of it. And instead, I have mismanaged all of this responsibility and said, I haven't told you and haven't talked to you and we haven't majored in and all this, and I have, we, haven't, we haven't done and made this the activity. It's not about bringing people in. It's about activating us to go out. And I don't want you to stand before Jesus one day and going, wait, when did we not? But Jesus, I went to church. But Jesus, I prophesied. But Jesus, I did this. But Jesus, I did all this. But he said to Timothy, didn't he? How have we missed this? It's fascinating to me in this story is that Jesus said these words 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years later, 
the six needs that Jesus mentioned here twice are still the six greatest needs on the planet today. Look at this. He's, he listed the need for food, the need for water, the need for housing, clothing, health, justice. And what's also fascinating to me is that Jesus was not talking to the government. He wasn't talking to the Red Cross. He was talking, or any other organization to meet these needs. He was the healthcare system. He was talking to the church. And Jesus gave the responsibility to meet these six needs to us as the church. So now watch, watch, watch. Here we are in the midst of, of a COVID epidemic, and we're all confused, and we're all, we're all feeling, I don't know if you're feeling like I'm feeling. I'm feeling tired of it all. Let's move, like, come on, let's, like, all, all, let's, all right already. Let's, all the rest of it and going, come on. But I've also realized that I've been placing all of my hope to solving these problems, sickness, in our healthcare system. Been placing all of my hope in the governments to get it figured out. And in the meantime, I read this and I was like, it's not their job. And we've been, I've been sitting back as a Christian and going, well, come on already. You guys should solve this problem. And according to Jesus, it's on the list. Jesus said this in his very first sermon. He said this in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither a people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds. There it is again, your good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. Now watch this. In his very first message, Jesus says something profound. He says, you are the light. And the reason why this is profound is because because darkness, I've said this many times, darkness has no power in and of itself. Darkness is simply the absence of light. Correct? It has no power. And in the meantime, this is what I've seen. In the meantime, me as a Christian, and, and we as Christians in the church, in the meantime, we've been complaining and, and, and arguing and saying that the world is getting darker and it's getting worse and worse and it's getting darker and darker and, and all the rest. And here's, here's something else that I've done. Something else that I've done is like, God, why don't you just fix it already? God, why don't you solve it? We can't, listen, listen, we can't blame God for everything that is wrong in the world. Yet that's exactly what we do, don't we? Like, how come a good God could, could allow bad things to happen around us and to our world? And why doesn't God do something? Why does, it, why does it God allow suffering? Why does God allow evil and sickness and hunger? Why doesn't he do something about it? And the truth is, he did. He tasked us to be the light. And so in the meantime, while we're waiting for us to escape this dark, dingy, terrible, hellish world to one day go into heaven, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I built the kingdom from the beginning of creation for you. You are the light. And you can't, you, you, if there's darkness in the world, it's because we're not doing our job. And the, the truth is we've abdicated our responsibilities. What I'm saying is, church, listen. I'm saying is that we got to be different. 
We got to think different. We got to major in the major. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And how do we do that? Feed the hungry. Provide clean water. Housing. Clothing. Whatever the need be. Help the least of these. Because here's today's takeaway. Everything starts with love. And every interaction is an opportunity to cultivate a lasting impact. Everything starts with love. What does that mean? Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Everything starts with love. And as a church, we got we to gotta start things with love and just have eyes open up to see the need around us and start with love. The person at work, the, the next door neighbor, whatever it might be. We got to open our eyes up and see. God, give me eyes to see. And have that, and then, and then realize that every interaction we have is an opportunity to make a lasting impact. How's that lasting impact? It's providing one of the six needs in some way, saying it's our job. So it, listen, I can't, I can't preach a message like this and and and, and talk through these things and, and all of that and not say that there's. You just have to do something. Anybody else feel that? Like something has to be done. We got to do something. So church. First of all, I want to ask your forgiveness as a communicator of the gospel and, and a preacher not, not focusing us on this sooner in this, in this way and going, this is the thing. But second of all, we got to do some things different. As a church, we got to do some, something different. Every, for the last four or five years, we've typically in December, we've taken and received a year-end offering. And in the past, what we've done, for those of you who are new, is we'd have one Sunday where we said, we asked people just to give. We cast vision and our next project coming up and different things. And this is what's coming up. And here's the vision. And people would give towards that vision. And as we came into December this year, I was like, I just, something, it just doesn't sit right with me anymore. But this year, I felt like we got to do something different. And so this, at the end of this series, which is going to be Sunday, December 5, okay, four weeks from now. Sunday, December 5th, we're going to take up a legacy offering. But here's what we're going to do different, this legacy offering. This legacy offering, we're going to find four different things. We're going to, we're going to find a local need, a national need, an international need, and we're going, to, we're going to, I'll talk about expansion in a moment. But what we're going to do is we're going to take up this offering and then give it all away. Is that okay? So here's an example. Locally, um, I just feel like at all of our campuses, we're going to receive this offering. Locally, I want to bless the first responders. And I, I, I mean, the, the ICU workers, those in, you know, police and fire and all the rest of it, those who have been working extra hard in this season and it's been extra pressure and all the rest of it, I just want to give them, what if we gave them Christmas like never before? And just bless them. Just said, man, we appreciate you. We, we are so grateful for you. We thank, just thankful. And just, we're so, part that offering is going to go towards just blessing our first responders. Then we're going to find a national ministry. We've got a number in mind. We're looking at, we're going to find one. And we'll, we'll talk about it. We're nailing that down. We're going to find one national ministry outside of our church. And we're just going to say, we believe in what you're doing. And here's... Here's, we just want to bless you and give, give it to them. We're going to find an international 
mission or project, something outside of our church, outside of our, our responsibility, and just and to say, here, just for you, we just want to bless you. And then expansion, we're gonna we're gonna take and say we're gonna give it to my city care, and and my city care. What we're gonna do is we're gonna say this is this is tagged. This money is gonna be tagged for coming alongside other churches in other cities and giving them a start, a launch to be able to start my city care on their own, not attached to us, but attached to just to a city and other churches and all the rest of it, so that we can bless other churches and all the rest of it. In other words, we're just gonna say, hey, Jesus, for for us this year. Forgive us that we haven't done this sooner. God, we just want to do whatever we possibly can to help the least of these. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word and for the clarity, Jesus. Just forgive us for somehow not seeing this before, this light. God, forgive me for the number of times I've walked by you didn't even realize it. And I pray that you'd give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the wisdom to know what to do, and the courage to follow through. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to run through a prayer with you right now that does just that. So if you want to bow your head, close your eyes, repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God and I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you now to become my Lord to become my savior, to become my friend. I thank you that my past is past and that I can begin anew with you today. My heart is yours, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So if you prayed that prayer for the first time, first off, congratulations. That is an amazing decision. There'll be a link posted in the chat for you. Click on that, fill that out. We'd love uh, to congratulate you, send you a Bible, just celebrate with you on this amazing decision.